Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. Today on the show, we're going to be speaking about life in the wake of the catastrophic floods in New South Wales and Queensland. We've actually got a Lismore resident who's going to speak to us about her ordeal. And it was quite an ordeal, I assure you. Now, we're also going to be speaking about a thing called eco-grief, which is very, very much related to what our Lismore resident went through. And wouldn't you know, it's like the footy, it's on each week. There is yet another Mike Cannon Brooks venture. Love it. And there's much, much more. All on the Green Canary today. I'm at Sharwood. I'm sitting opposite Elfie Scott as usual. How are you, Elfie? I'm good, thank you. And how are you going this week? I'm going very well, thank you. I'm a little bit drenched right now because I've just uh, yeah <laughs> run from a train station through a Sydney downpour. Been a bit of rain around lately, but obviously mm-hmm. I'm not as drenched uh, as a lot of people are up and down the east coast of Australia. And uh, as mentioned, we are going to be speaking to a woman called Eddie Lloyd who lived through the floods in Lismore, but only just. Yeah, yeah. See, I I think it's been a week of a lot of various government figures pointing the finger at each other about disaster aid, and they've been dominating headlines. So because of that, we just thought it was really important to speak to a Lismore local who's been on the ground, who knows the extent of the loss and what communities like hers need looking forward. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, Eddie Lloyd really does know. She's been a counsellor. She's a lawyer. She's an active member of the community, but she's also just a regular citizen. Um, she's a mum. She's a partner. She's mm. a flood victim, very much so. And she wrote... Uh, she's also a climate activist, you know, and she wrote a piece in The Guardian this week, an op-ed, and I just thought it was a terrific story. And we're going to talk to her about that, but just let me read you one or two lines. I mean, she wrote, we were lucky we didn't die. And she wrote, we drive through Lismore's central business district. It looks as though it's been bombed. It resembles a post-apocalyptic horror film. It's Um, so harrowing. It was a mess there in Lismore, and it's still a mess two weeks on. So let's catch up with Eddie and see how she's feeling two weeks on. Eddie Lloyd, uh, Lismore resident. Um, How are you going? two weeks after the worst floods on record? Oh, is it two weeks? It feels like yesterday still, honestly. Like, it doesn't feel like that's a shock to hear that. Is it really that long ago? Um, I've had COVID and my partner's got COVID as well. So we've stayed away from everybody. So might have been a bit of a protective factor in terms of the trauma um, that I'm seeing on my friend's social pages at the moment because the cleanup is still going on. Um, the You know, there's just waste everywhere. Um, everyone's scrambling to to get grants. People are putting up their fundraiser pages to try and get some money because we've just been completely abandoned, you know, all of these announcements about all this money that we can get at the end of the day. You can't. You can't access it. You can't get the state grant um, if you earn over $1,000 a week. You can't afford insurance because it's 30 k a year. So people are just left high and not dry. Um, my friend, she's just had to send her son to Brisbane to family. Like families are being split up all over the place because there's such a housing crisis now. There was before. It's even more so now. So people are really traumatised and trying to pick up the pieces of this shattered community. One of the most um, compelling aspects of that very powerful um, first-person piece that you wrote for The Guardian was about the stench. Um, In journalism, it's always uh, tempting, as an interviewer, from my perspective, to ask people, what did you see? But sometimes it's the other senses that cut through to readers, the sound of something, the smell of something. Tell us a bit about that smell and has it subsided at all like the waters? 
It is everywhere. I actually wanted to include a scratch and sniff on that op-ed <laughs> so people could scratch and really understand how foul it is. And now I'm at my place and we're doing all my partners washing, um, you know, clothing, sheets, everything. You wash it once in hot water and it's still revolting. Like the mud smell is traumatic. It stinks. It's like, you know, it smells like death and diesel um, and just rotting meat and it is just everywhere you go every time you wash up something the smells there and it just makes you want to vomit so it's yeah it's very traumatic the smell is still very much there and, and will be for a long time and yes yeah how are people getting on with life um there must be an unbelievably difficult combination of uh being helpless being unable to resume normal life activities for example your son's school is closed people's workplaces have been washed away or, or made un, un, unusable how are you getting in with on with life you and the community um i can't even think about work at the moment um all the courts are shut here um they've just been flooded and you know People aren't even thinking about work at the moment. Like everyone, no one can work. Everyone is just trying to replace and repair and rebuild and clean. Um, so that side of life is going to take a long time for people to, um, you know, get back to normal again, I think. Um, everyone is really just putting one muddy foot in front of another at the moment, just trying to get through every day. And now we've got COVID that's hitting a lot of us now. Um, that's an added challenge for everyone. Um, it's going to be a very, very long recovery and there's absolutely no certainty that we will recover. That is the greatest fear in Lismore at the moment is that we're not going to get um, adequate financial assistance to rebuild. Families are going to get split up. There's no housing here. Um, everyone's really, really frightened that this is going to be the end to Lismore, which would be a real shame because if you know anything about Lismore, we are a really, and I'm really starting to hate the word resilient, we really are a resilient, sustainable community. You know, we, we want a circular economy here. We want to manage our own waste. Um, we want to, you know, we really do walk that reuse, reuse, reduce, recycle mantra here in Lismore. And, and we've got a lot to show the rest of the nation in terms of resilience in these climate change events. But um, unfortunately, our community has borne the brunt of, of it, maybe the biggest um, brunt in terms of uh, human cost um, so far in Australia, and that's really devastating. And I'm just really disappointed in our politicians. And you know, this could be a great opportunity for them to use us as an example of how to build a community that can adapt to the changing climate and how to fund communities from the prism of climate change and not from um, this political um, election cycle prism that we see funding, um, you know, coming to certain electorates and not others. So, yeah. What would that look like, that funding? I mean, you, you, you sort of, you and the people of Lismore are dealing with micro and macro issues at the same time here. The micro issue being your town has been devastated. The macro issue being climate change is undoubtedly making these sort of events more frequent and more severe. So you're fighting a fight to get action on climate and also action at the local or micro level on your town? How are you balancing both of those things? Um, well, we're, we're at the mercy of three-year election cycles here. Um, you know, we all know that it's going to cost so much more doing nothing in an ever-changing climate. 
Um, but the governments are just, politicians just interested in winning the next election in three years. So we're not getting that long-term um, assistance that we need, that this country really needs to be to be looking at, you know, in terms of preparing for this, the greatest existential crisis ever, ever to face humanity. Like literally, this is about our human race surviving right now. Um, and what is the biggest tragedy for me is that climate change is a political issue. It's about our survival, like, it, and it's so political, it should not be, and, and that, that's really, really frightening. Um, it's really frightening. What would you like the politicians to say? We are in a climate emergency and we need to end the fossil fuel industry and we need to prepare our communities and build them uh, to be able to withstand some of these climate events that are coming to everybody's doorstep, not just Lismore. It's going to come to the Prime Minister's doorstep eventually. Wow. So... <clears throat> There's a, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot yeah. to unpack, isn't there? Such a deeply impactful interview. Thank you so much for bringing that to us. Oh, well, you know, it was a pleasure. And, and thank you, Eddie Lloyd, for, for speaking to the Green Canary. Um, you know, it, it seems to me that there are four main emotions there, if you unpack it very, very quickly. Actually, first, speaking to her after we, we stopped the recording, first emotion is compassion. She wants to help the local community. She is helping the local community. Mm -hmm. She set up a page, just Google North Lismore Flood Appeal. That is run by Eddie Lloyd and others in North Lismore, which is the worst hit part of town. That's not a Peter Dutton one. Always is. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so if you want to give your money straight to locals, Google North Lismore Flood Appeal. So, you know, Eddie Lloyd feeling four emotions. One, that was compassion. Two, she's feeling angry. She's feeling angry at climate inaction and against all, uh, about all sorts of stuff that's, that's you know, preventing uh, Lismore from recovering as quickly as it might. Uh, she's feeling fear, fear for the future. What comes next for her, for her town? Um, that's a very natural emotion. And she's also feeling grief. And this sort of came through again in some of the conversation that we didn't record. But she, you know, she did mention that a member of her family is experiencing PTSD, which wow. is very, very common in, in these sorts of events. Um, and I think the fact that she, she actually mentioned the word grief is, is really, really interesting. And it takes us to our next story, doesn't it? Because yep. we spoke um, in the intro uh, about a story that I want you to tell me all about that you read in the, the nine newspapers this week about eco-grief. What's eco-grief, Elfie? Yeah, so this was quite a tough read in the Sydney Morning Herald, but it's from Laura Chung and Mary Ward. And basically, it has several different accounts of people to demonstrate what eco-grief is. And basically what they're talking about are the feelings of anxiety and depression that we get from looking at the world around us collapsing and these ecosystems that we love so much falling apart. And I have been passionate about this topic for many, many years. It's something that I really enjoy reading about because I think that there are basically two big components to eco-grief and eco-psychology in general. And one of those is watching the environments that you love fall apart around you in real time. But then there's another big one, which is fear for the future. And I think that that is absolutely something that Eddie touched on later in that interview. Um, and I'm sure you'll be able to hear the full audio through the newsletter. But yeah, I just, I think that it's such an important topic and to some extent, I really think that it's absurd that this hasn't ended our national dialogue in a more prominent way, especially when it comes to politicians. You know, 
I just think that it's such a rational response from people to worry about the future, worry about their children's future. And the fact that government hasn't spoken about this is really quite baffling and sad to me. It, it's a good point you make. It's it, not even that government hasn't spoken about it, but that it's not really part of the lexicon. Yeah. It's not really part of our the way we think about about our relationship to the environment and the natural world. But why isn't it like a grief? If a, if a forest was there yesterday and it's not there today, if a species was there yesterday and it's not there or it's endangered today, we're about to speak about an endangered species, a newly endangered one, why wouldn't I feel that as grief, as, as a loss for something that is in the world but is no longer there? Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting topic. But I tell you what... Um, one of our other favourite topics here on the Green Canary is Mike Cannonbrooks. We just we love doers, don't we? I mean, the doers, we can't stop talking about Mike Cannonbrooks. Look, these people are going to save the world. I mean, they 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 are our superheroes in capes, uh, the billionaire activists, as as they're sometimes called. And, look, and, and I hope so. Well, these are the people that are going to actually enact the change that it becomes impossible to argue against, mm-hmm. and they're going to replace old industries with new, they're going to make economic sense, they're going to make environmental sense. What's he doing this week? All right. So this week, MCB, as we've liked to call him for the past couple of weeks, has teamed up with Andrew Twiggy Forrest to raise major capital for Sun Cable, which is planning on building the world's largest solar and battery storage facility in the NT. So they've now raised, I think it's something like $200 million for this project, which is called the Australia Asia Power Link. And that's going to supply power to Darwin, as well as export power to Singapore and Asian markets through this massive undersea cable. I don't know what those look like. And if you want to explain that infrastructure not, to not, me, that not would be really. great. I, I'm not an undersea cable I, uh, expert. I did just look at the Sun Cable website and noticed that it goes undersea to the island of Java in Indonesia. Somehow it pops over Java and pops under the sea again and pops out <laughs> at Singapore and will contribute enormously to Singapore's energy um, overall mix. So great big solar farm in the middle of the NT desert. Um Dispatch that up to up to Darwin. Big battery in Darwin hasn't ha- happened yet, but with Twiggy and MCB, you're talking about two billionaire activists now. Yeah. Uh, this is the sort of thing that is very likely to happen. So it's a piece of good news this week. Yeah. Totally. All right. So now we are going to talk about uh, mulch, which are the little clippings, the little stories that we like to bring to each other for curiosity's sake. Mm. And what do you have for me? Uh, this is not curiosity. This is sadness. This is oh, this is uh, what I just yeah. Sorry. This is what I just alluded to. This is um, a newly endangered species, and not just any species, Elfie. We have celebrated the gang gang cockatoo on this podcast before. I love the squeaky <laughs> gate sound of the gang gang cockatoo. And Magic Morgan, who lurks in the darkness behind us, is going to play that now, aren't you, Morgs? Nikki <laughs> Dor, you're absolutely right. And you know what? As soon as you told me about that, I started telling everybody who I know in the ACT. I'm like, listen to the squeaky door. Have you seen? Have you heard one yourself yet? No, I haven't. You will. You wake up on one morning. I know you go down to the south coast in New South Wales quite a lot. And you hear them down there as well. Oh, Anywhere okay. where there's trees, they need old growth trees, and they need trees that aren't burnt by massive biggest in a generation bushfires. Right. That keeps wrecking their habitat. Habitat. That is why their numbers are dropping. That is why Federal Environment Minister Susan Lee just chucked them on the endangered species list which is not good, but in some ways, sometimes these things can help because at least we're keeping a close eye on old squeaky gang gang, uh, perhaps a closer eye than we were 
before. Yeah, totally. Okay. Our next story is a column from Professor Alan Duffy. So you've probably seen him on TV. Quite a good looking fella. Mm. He is an astronomer and he wrote this call to action uh, this week, which I just thought was really interesting and something that I hadn't really thought about before. But basically he's telling people to recycle phones and laptops because he's saying they're a treasure trove of rare and precious metals. So you and I were speaking about cobalt mining the other week, right? So we are talking about like the lack of ethics around cobalt mining but he's saying you know there are 4.2 million broken phones lying around in homes and businesses and 95 percent of each phone can be recycled including the glass the batteries and importantly the cobalt yes and and i mean the i i love the opening line of alan duffy's column it says our mobile phones are a treasure trove of rare and precious metals from the cobalt and the lithium batteries to the gold and the palladium in the circuitry. Our mobile phones are a treasure trove of rare and precious metals. Imagine if you had an actual treasure trove at home of rare and pre- precious metals, you wouldn't just leave it in the fourth drawer of some cupboard you oh never God, open. That's exactly what I've done. I've got like four phones in my fourth drawer. And you've got a crush on a good-looking astronomer, but... Um, don't say that! I bloody I, don't! I think, I think you <laughs> would be... I'm just saying objectively. You would be the Kate Blanchett um, to, to Leo DiCaprio's astronomer in, in Don't Look Up. I, th- I think that's who you are, Elfie. Oh, God. I don't even know if that's a compliment. Okay, we're moving on. Okay. All right. So our last story is a study that was published in a journal called Marine Pollution Bulletin, and it's found that octopuses are making use of sea litter. So this is research that has basically found that octopuses are hiding inside bottles and cans, and they're using things like old batteries and bottle tops to hide under or carry around with them while they walk around for protection. And this is an interesting one. Ant and I were debating beforehand, is this a good news story or a bad news story? And we're going to say it's grim, but it is at least a little bit interesting. I don't know. Octopuses have sort of become a meme, haven't they, in the environmental sphere? Like every week it seems like we find out something terrific and new and smart and lovable about octopuses. And the fact that they're using our throwaway bloody junk and they've gone, you know what, humanity? You're stuffing up the oceans, but eh. I'm going to make use of that and work with it the best I can. Oh, it's it's not a good news story. It does make octopuses more lovable. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Look, pl- at least we have the UN Plastics Treaty now. Well, coming. It's coming. Yes. It's coming. And at least no one said octopi because the correct plural is octopuses. Yeah. If you say octopi, ant will come around and slap you. <laughs> Platypi as well. Not happy about that. (laughs) All right. So that is all we have time for in this episode today. Before we head off, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging, as well as extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. Very nicely said, as always, Elfie. And I'd just like to say to everybody out there, please sign up to our newsletter. Uh, It comes out on a Wednesday. I work very hard on it, making all of what's in the pod and a whole lot more readable in your inbox. Uh, Just email hello at thegreencanary.co, just .co. And also say hello to us on social media. We like to be chatty. We're at Green Canary Pod on Twitter. We're at Green Canary Media on Instagram. And we're at this studio this time next week, aren't we, Elfie? Nicely done, Anne. (laughs) All right, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.